Hi, everyone. Welcome to Keep Singing, an All Bethel podcast. I am your host, Dynamic Symmetry. Uh, I'm also Sunny, as most of you know. Happy New Year. And this is episode three. I wanted to do an episode in December, but my life exploded in December, so that didn't end up happening. Uh, And this is a special episode of the podcast because this is happening during Bethel Smut Week, which is great. And one of the things that means is that this is going to be incredibly not safe for work. I'm not sure how not safe for work it's going to get, but it's going to be pretty not safe for work. Last episode, I ended up reading some smut, which was a lot of fun and in some ways sort of gave me the courage, for lack of a better word, to do more. So that's what this is going to be. I'm going to do a bunch of things. And in fact, I got enough content to work with that this is actually going to be a two-parter, uh, which is weird. But it's it's going to be a two-parter. I'm going to do this episode. I'm going to record the second one in a couple of days. And most of the reason why it's going to be so long is, uh, well, first of all, I have two fics to read, not just one. And I figured out putting two in one episode, trust me, it was going to be like three hours long. I think that's a little bit of a stretch even for people who don't seem to mind that the last episode ran longer. So this is going to be a two-parter. I'm going to be reading one fic today. I'm also going to be going through some replies to questions I posed to people on Tumblr, questions, requests for commentary, which I will then comment on. Sort of meta, kind of not necessarily. So I'm going to be talking about a bunch of that. I'm going to be reading. I'm going to be reading... I was going to read the story that started the Pacify series, which I'm guessing at least some of you have read some of. My giant, ridiculous, BDSM, kind of character plot, heavy for porn thing series. It's it's over a hundred thousand words long now. It's kind of ridiculous. But I'm going to be reading one of the stories from that. I'm not going to be reading the story that started it. And one of the reasons why I decided not to do that is that I sort of read through it in my head. And I've mentioned that I'm very particular about flow when I read aloud. There's just something about the prose that has to work. It's a rhythm thing, which means that there are good fics that I just won't read because it doesn't work. So I ended up actually going with the second one, the the second fic in that series, uh, because I think that it just, it reads better. And also it's one of my faves. It's actually a bigger fave for me than the very first one. So maybe doing that. And I'm going to do a huge number of recs. Or at least I would do a huge number of recs if I went ahead and made this all one episode. Because a bunch of people sent in a lot of stuff and also there's a lot to work with anyway. Because we're so blessed in this fandom regarding pornography, aren't we? So I'm going to be doing a bunch in this episode. I'm going to be doing a bunch in the next episode. I'm going to go ahead and be kind of an asshole and wreck a couple of mine. Because, you know, this is my fucking podcast. Deal with it. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Just to emphasize, this is going to be... Not safe for work, just to say it again. I mentioned at the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. Don't listen to this in mixed company. Cock is going to show up a lot, probably. I hope so. So just starting off with the Rex, uh, and I want to say a quick word about that before I jump into it. I want to thank people who sent things in. I really want to emphasize this isn't a huge part of the podcast in terms of the amount of time it takes, but this is really important in the fandom. I made a post last night, actually, talking about how For fic writers, it means just an unbelievable amount to us when somebody bothers to say something. I don't think that should actually be something I have to explain, but it does. Kudos is great, but when people actually take a minute to just 
write a couple words in the comment box and post that's sort of, given that we don't do this for money, that's kind of our pay. Please, please send in Rex. It's great for the authors. It's great for me. I love, I'm not as good at this as I'd like to be in terms of pushing authors I really like and pushing fics I really like. So among other things, this helps me to be better at that. You're helping me, you're helping them. It's just a great thing to do. I'm going to stop rambling about that now and actually get to the damn things themselves. So to start off with, I'm going to actually plug something that's a favorite of mine before I get to other people's. I'm going to be talking, and this is also something of a warning, I'm going to be talking about daddy kink in this episode. A couple people asked me to. And one of the reasons why I want to is that I think it's really interesting. It's not just that I think it's fucking hot, because I do, but I think that in terms of this pairing and the relationship, it's just interesting. So I'm going to be spending some time on that. If you find that squicky, it's going to be toward the end before I end up doing the reading. So I'm going to try and kind of intro it so that you can skip it if you need to, if you find it kind of really disturbing, because some people do. That's the thing about it that is interesting to me. It's hella problematic. I'm going to go into a little bit about of why, because how can you not? So getting back to the original reason why I fucking mentioned this, I'm going to be rambling some too. You might have noticed I do that. I have to wreck Play With Me by Schwoozy. It's on AO3. And those of you who read Pacify will know that I have sort of fallen into a daddy kink hole. It's not that that's all I intend to write. The last installment I wrote didn't actually have daddy kink in it at all, but it's sort of kind of ruined my life in a, in a bad way. And this is the fic that started it. One of the things I'm going to be talking a little bit about is how one of the cool things about smut is that you might not be into something or you might think you're not into something. And then you actually read something with these characters doing it. And then it turns out that all you needed was just to look at it from a certain angle and suddenly your whole perspective on it changes. And this was the fic that did that for me. And it's, I, I wasn't into it, and I thought, well, you know, maybe this'll... I know Shwizy writes really well, maybe this'll actually be end up being something that I enjoy. And I read it, and I enjoyed it, and then I was like, shit, I've got to write this now. I really have no choice. So yeah, it's it's ridiculous, it's fun. Play with me, Shwizy, AO3. Also, uh, don't know that I even necessarily need to wreck this, because it's one of those fics that everybody in this fandom has fucking read. But A Piece of Rough, I mean, again, it's one of those fics, but it's it's obviously very smut-heavy, and the smut is obviously very hot. So if you haven't, for some reason, read that, do that. And finally, Almost Fine, which is also shoozy. It's a work in progress. It's another one I think that a lot of people know about, which is great, because it's really good. And it's super plot-heavy, which is, which is awesome. It's very plot-heavy. It's very character-deep. In some ways, it almost... I hope this doesn't sound presumptuous, uh, Molly, if you're listening, sorry, um, but it almost, I think, acts as kind of a companion piece to I'll Be Yours for a Song in some ways. Not that it's, not that, like, one is better than the other, but that they both work along similar lines, and it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. But another reason why I love it so much is that the smut, what there is of it, is fucking awesome. Because how could it not be? Because it's this author. So check that out if you haven't. Another one that somebody sent in, There Ain't No Christmas Anymore by C.S. Reads. It's on AO3. Uh, it's a longer fic. It has a good smut scene that's semi-public. I haven't actually read this. This is what the person says. Semi-public, semi-only because the others are asleep. That's the kind of thing I find kind of fun. 
that given that these people are traveling frequently in close quarters and there's not a whole lot of privacy and they kind of have to find ways to do stuff whenever they can, which means that there's probably stuff that goes on. I mean, Maggie and Glenn have probably gotten up to stuff not that far away from people and everybody just kind of politely looks the other way and pretends they don't hear things. And I think that's kind of hot. And in, like when Beth and Daryl do that, and that leads directly into the next one, which is Covert Ops by Avelina on AO3. This is one of my personal favorites, not just because it's really fucking hot, but because it's adorable. And the basic premise, if you haven't read it, is that it's sort of canon divergent in that the group is still together. Beth hasn't ended up staying behind slash dying at Grady. And Beth and Daryl have a thing, and they're taking, the whole group is taking refuge in this abandoned military truck, and Beth and Daryl are really horny, they haven't had a chance to do anything with each other for a while, so they're like, fuck it. And they throw on this blanket, and they just go to town on each other. And everybody around them knows what's happening. It's obvious. It's so fucking obvious. There's noises and movement and stuff. Maggie, for whatever reason, is clueless completely and she's worried about Beth and she's like oh is she having a nightmare and everybody else is like I think she's fine Maggie really thinks she's very good right now yeah it's hot it's cute take a look at it if you haven't and that leads directly into the next one which is actually new happened for Bethel Smut Week got posted yesterday I just now read it uh Say the Word also by Abelina also on AO3 it's uh yeah it's it's awesome and it's unusual in that it is entirely dirty talk. Nothing actually happens physically between these two characters in the fic itself. They're just talking absolutely filthy to each other. And not to get TMI. I mean, okay, you know what? I'm going to I've I've done this before. I'm going to come out and say it. I think we a lot of us know why a lot of us read this. It's it gets us off. That's that's why. And I'll just say I really enjoyed it a lot. So there's that. And also by Avelina. Um, I just, okay, I, I love Avelina. So that's kind of why this is happening. And this is, this is probably one of my top five, if not top three fix ever. It, I love it that much. I read it and I read it in about 20 minutes. Like it just devoured it. And then I just read it over and over and over again that day. I just couldn't stop rereading it. Wild Things, The Moonshine Poet which is canon divergent in that uh, Beth and Daryl end up staying together after alone. And I don't even know how this works, but she's one of those authors who can manage slow burn in about 10,000 words. I don't understand personally how that's done. I, I can't do that. First of all, because my stuff ends up being super long, even when I try to have it not be except for my short little one-shots. And and secondly, because I really dig into slow burn and I make it just irritatingly slow, this is slow burn that works in novelette length, which is ridiculous. I don't know how she does it, but she does. And it's just unbelievably hot. And part of it is that actual sex doesn't happen for a while. There's just a lot of touching and rubbing and talking, which is great. By the way, I... I love when these characters talk to each other, which is interesting because I feel like Daryl would have a really fucking hard time, but with Beth, he would find it to be something he could do after a little bit of prodding. So that's super hot, too. Please, please read that if you haven't. That's one of those fics that I just like. Everybody who hasn't read it in this fandom, you need to go do that immediately. Right fucking now. Another one, 
And this is actually something that I just found uh, the other day when I was looking around for something else to read besides my own thing. I had not seen this before. I actually didn't know about this author. And I think one of the reasons why I hadn't was that it's an older fic. It was published kind of a little while ago. I don't know that this author is writing so often in this fandom right now, if at all. And We Fold Together by Khaleesi Bech on AO3. And it's really well written and it's really hot. And I'm just kind of sad that I hadn't seen it before. And here's the thing that's, I think, really important about that. I have a feeling, and this is about fic in general, I have a feeling that people have a tendency to neglect older things. And I I know not everybody does this, and it might not even be as much of a problem as I personally feel like it is, but don't neglect older stuff. Search. There are hidden gems that were published a year ago, two years ago, that aren't really well known in the fandom, so nobody gives them a whole lot of attention regarding Rex, and they're so good. There's so much good stuff out there that people overlook. So do some hunting. I'm If I hadn't been looking for something specific to read, I wouldn't have found it. But it, I did, and it's really good. So it's it's about, among other things, it's about touching and how important it is. So, yeah, there's that. There's also Howl by Mesa Faraway on FF.net. I haven't read this. It's not my Howl. I didn't know until I was pretty far into Howl that there was another fic called Howl in this fandom, which is fun. As far as I know, it's not about werewolves specifically. But it's there on ff.net. It is, by the way, unfinished, if that's something that you care about. It is also not only smut, apparently. I haven't read it. But it has reportedly some awesome first-time smut, which I love. I love when these characters are just kind of... Not only are they first getting into stuff with each other, but it's the first time they've really done anything. And I know that that's, that's not always how people write it. I know that it's... Not always that realistic to think that Beth is completely virginal, but I really like writing it that she is, because I like writing the process of these two characters discovering sex together. I think that's wonderful. And one of the reasons why I think it's wonderful is because it's such a healthy relationship. So you get to write two characters discovering this wonderful thing together that feels so good and is such a deep kind of connection, and it's it makes it really feelings-heavy in a fantastic way, and not just hot. So there's that. First and second and third time smut, apparently. So finally me. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say what my personal faves are. Of all of the porn that I've written, the the stuff that I have real soft spots for. And here's the thing about my fic, if you don't know. If you go to my AO3, which is where all of my stuff is. I have some stuff on ff.net, but not everything. Uh, Hardly any smut. If you go to AO3 and you kind of look through all of my fics by rating... The majority, and it's it's not an insignificant majority, are E-rated. I have a thing for writing filthy things. So I have a lot to choose from is my point. But of the things I've written, my the ones I would recommend people read if they're new to me. Number one, and I don't think this surprises fucking anybody, is I'll Be Yours for a Song. Which is sort of funny because it's not it's not smut. It's it's that's it's so plot heavy, it's so character heavy. It's a much, much bigger story than that. But on the other hand, it is so, so sex-focused. And one of the reasons why it's so sex-focused is that it is such a huge part of Daryl's relationship with his own body. He's healing his relationship not only with the world and not only discovering that he can have a healthy relationship with Beth and also with his brother, which is incredibly sad. But he has 
a healthy relationship by the end of the story with himself physically. He understands that his body is something that is attractive to somebody else. It's something that he can get pleasure from in itself. And it's also something that can give somebody else a lot of pleasure. And that's sort of a revelation for him. So there's a lot of sex in that fic. I think if you cut out all the smut, it would be about two-thirds of the length that it is. And it's almost 400,000 words. It's fucking ridiculous. It is by far the longest thing I have ever written. I think it's by far the best thing I've ever written. I'm not saying it's like the best fic ever, but of all my stuff, I think it's the best. And that includes all of my professionally published stuff. A dirty little secret. I think a lot of my fic is better than a lot of my professionally published stuff. Or at least I personally am more fond of it. So I love all the smut in I'll Be Yours for a Song. It was so fun to write. There are two particular parts that I think are among the best things I've ever written sex-wise. And the first one is a scene where Daryl goes to get a tattoo or goes to finish off a tattoo. And Beth comes with him and she watches. And it ends up turning, because there's a lot of pain involved, it ends up turning into this kind of strange, almost, he kind of goes into subspace, if you know what that means. And it's almost kind of kinky, and she's watching and she's getting incredibly turned on just by watching him experience this really intense feeling, because the pain stops being pain after a while, and it's just, it's enormously intense sensory input. And he basically has a dry orgasm. Like, he he comes just from this happening and her watching. And there is there is something about it, the fact that it's not sex, that I loved writing. And getting so deep into his head and getting into the sensory aspects of it, the sensual aspects of it and what he's feeling. That was enormously fun. And then there's an edging scene where Beth tells him that she wants him to jerk off, but she doesn't want him to actually come. So he's doing that and he's really getting into it. And he's not just doing it with his cock. He's also doing it with the rest of his body. He's really valuing it in and of itself. And that ends up being very important. And also, I think, really fucking hot. And people seem to agree. And then the last two are both pacify fix. And I think they're really hot. And I also think, personally, one of them at least is very important to me. Uh, it's called And All I've Got Is Your Hand. And that was something that it took me a while to work up to writing because it's the fic where Beth finally uses her safe word. And that was really important to me to write because, yeah, there's been an incredible amount of, of trust in these between these two characters through this entire series. And there's been a lot of joy and there's been a lot of realizing that they're strong enough to do these things together that are frightening, but also incredibly fulfilling when they really get to that place in their heads. I mean, by that point, Daryl has hurt Beth really seriously. Like, not in an unsafe way, but he's gotten really intense with her. And she wants that. And she's been embracing it. And it's been great. And there's a little bit of daddy kink in it because by this point, they're doing that. And she loves it. And he loves it. And it's awesome. But the thing is, he brings her a green sour apple lollipop. And he doesn't know what that is to her. And he gives it to her, and not only does he give it to her, but he pushes it into her mouth. And he thinks he's just giving her candy, but she has a panic attack. She has a flashback and then a panic attack, and she has to use her safe word. She has to stop what they're doing immediately. And then that's the first time she's had to do that. So that means she has to kind of rethink, what does it mean that we're doing this? Is there stuff in me that's going to make this a problem that I don't know about? Because she kind of didn't even remember it either. And suddenly she did. And then Daryl has to also kind of think, okay, there is danger here. I could potentially 
walk into something and not know it until it's happened. And this is something that I have to be maybe bearing in mind. And what ends up happening by the end of it is that Beth ends up completely taking control. And she ends up riding him and she ends up choking him, which is one of the first things he did to her in that series that made her realize that this was something she wanted. So it kind of opens things up for some femdom, which I've been playing with some. So that's another one that's really important to me because it's also very feelings heavy and I think does some interesting things with character. And then finally, uh, Your Love is Bright as Ever, Even in the Shadows, which is yet another Daddy Kink one. I think it's one of my very best. I think it's one of the best in the whole series. I'm not going to say much more about it than that, but if you like that kind of thing, I would recommend that pretty strongly. So moving on, I'm going to get into a little bit of what people said in response to my queries for their feelings, their experiences. I had a bunch of things I was interested to know about people and kind of what they think about smut and what their relationship with smut is, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about here. Yes, it's hot. But there's a deeper side to a lot of this that I think is worth talking about. So one of the things that I asked people to come at me with was what smut means to them. Like, why is this significant? Why is this an important part of their experience of the fandom and of this kind of fan work? And I got a couple of interesting answers uh, that one of them is actually really deep, but I want to dig into it because there's some great stuff in it. I mean, there's it's long. So the first one, uh, one of the first ones that I got said, and this I think is really cool, not just because of this particular fandom and not just because of these characters, but also because of what smutty fan fiction ends up being for people in general, in any fandom. This person says, it's really the only thing that can get me off, I guess. I personally can't stand watching porn for some reason. I can think of some reasons, actually. Sure, I can want to watch a sex scene on TV, but I don't want to actually see the real act. And here's the thing. Those of you who have consumed straight porn, I have consumed an enormous amount of it. Again, there's really no TMI here, or at least there's way less TMI. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't. I've consumed a lot of porn of all kinds. Straight porn, for the most part, hardcore, is shit. It's just awful. It's not good. It's not even real sex. I mean, yeah, technically things are actually going into other things and there's fluids and yeah, it looks like it might be real sex, but it's not. What you're seeing is completely constructed for the camera. It's put together for an audience. It's staged. It's scripted to the extent that you can script something like that. It's not real. You know, if you have actual sex with somebody, it doesn't end up looking like that. It doesn't end up working that way because you're not doing it for somebody else. You're doing it for the person that or people that you're with. So you don't end up, for example, posing in such a way that you can see a cock going in and out of somebody's cunt. You don't do that. If you look at some of these shots, camera shots, these people are angled in such a way that it's bizarre. It can't feel good. It must feel either it feels awkward or it feels uncomfortable. And I, yeah, you know, it can be hot sometimes. It's not that it's shitty and therefore not hot, but I look at it and I completely understand why people don't like it. Why people even find it offensive and why it is a problem. Straight porn's also a really seriously problematic thing. So I totally get why smut ends up being hotter than actually watching two people allegedly have sex because it is for the characters. It is for these two people. It's much more intimate than actually, you know, supposedly watching somebody having sex or having what we might imagine sex to be. You feel what they feel and you're thinking what they're thinking. You're in their head and you know what's going on and you get a deep sense of what sex is like for these people in a way that you don't 
you just don't get watching it. You wouldn't even get it if they hopefully, oh god, please, Team Defiance moment, if she's actually coming back, please, please, please let them actually have a sex scene, or of some kind, please god. Even that wouldn't give you the kind of insight into what's actually going on with these people that Fick does. And one of the things about Fick that's so great is that it is taking characters that we already have a very deep emotional connection to and putting them in these situations. And when you have a deep emotional connection to somebody, when they do something sexual, it's probably going to be hotter than if it's just a stranger. So I can totally see this being something that people respond better to for that reason. I personally do. This is primarily where I go for my wank material now. Porn is nice. Visual porn is nice. But primarily now I go to Fick. And I won't lie, not infrequently I go to my own stuff, because I'm a self-important bastard. You might have noticed that. So yeah, totally sympathize with that. That that being kind of, that kind of being the only place where you can really go for this and have it reliably delivered. So, secondly, and this is the one that kind of gets long, but there's a bunch of things here I want to tackle. It's a response of three parts. And I think that each one is something that I can speak to. Firstly, person says, To a large degree, it is actually an insight into the author's perception of sex and sexuality. It's heavily influenced by age and experience, culture, upbringing, etc. I find that interesting from a sociological point of view. I agree. I am, or was at one point when I was still actively going for my doctorate, a sociologist. It's weird, but it tells you a bit about where someone has come from. I don't think it's weird. I think that it's natural. I don't really see why it would be anything else. There's, There's something kind of interesting that happens... Or I find it interesting because, again, I'm a professional author, and I keep mentioning that, not because I'm trying to pump myself up. I mean, I really want to be clear about this, but because it means that I have feet in both worlds. And sometimes that ends up creating an interesting dichotomy for me. I end up seeing something from two different angles in a way that is weird and not always comfortable, and usually reveals a lot about both of them that I wouldn't necessarily see if I was only on one side. And I swear this is going somewhere. And one of the things that I've noticed about writing that is not actually porn, writing that is, you know, a novel that is more mainstream. And I noticed this especially, I'm sorry, I love Stephen King so fucking much. He's one of the writers that made me want to write. I think his prose is great, which a lot of people think is kind of strange. But when his prose is on, I think it's fantastic. He's one of the people who made me actually want to tell stories in a deep way. Not by any means the only one, but I loved him early on. I discovered him when I was very young, long before I was writing original stuff. And he was very formative for me. But when he writes about sex, it's kind of awkward. It feels a little uncomfortable. It's sort of like, I know this person in the way that you know an author when you read their stuff. You're, you're getting a peek into their imagination, and somebody's imagination is a very intimate part of them. But then suddenly you open this door and you're seeing something you didn't necessarily sign on for. And it's something you didn't, you're not necessarily comfortable knowing about this person. So that's a situation where you're engaging with an author on a level that is just not great so much for the comfortable, even if it's an author you really love. Completely the opposite when you're reading Smut. And I think one of the reasons for that is that clearly you know what you're getting into. There is a specific reason why you've sought this stuff out and you're reading it now. But also it is, I personally feel like, yeah, you're connecting with the author and you're connecting with the author in a really intimate way. And it's not necessarily, you know, that you want to fuck the author. Although if you do, that's really great. But it's also that you're getting to know somebody who you might really like, and you're getting to know them not just what gets them off, not just what they you know really enjoy writing in terms of sex, but you're also getting to know how this person views sex, what they think about sex, where they're coming from sexually. And that's cool because knowing somebody in terms of their attitudes and thoughts about sex is 
really getting to know them as a person on a very fundamental level. Sex is incredibly important to our identities. What kind you want, what you like, what you don't like, what kind of people you're trying to have it with, what kind of people you don't want to have it with, whether or not you want to have it at all. Because not wanting to have it is completely valid. These things are very important parts of our psychology, our emotional life. They're incredibly deep in ways that have nothing to do with our bodies. And I think that that's one of the reasons why smut is so great for character. In order to write a character having sex, especially with another character, you know, because that's not always how that has to work, you have to know both of these characters well. You have to really be able to get into their psychology. You have to be able to understand what they find important, what they find important in each other. What gets them off has a huge amount to do with who they are as people. So you have to know that, which I'll get into a little bit more later. So I think that getting to know an author on that level can be really positive. It can be a really good experience. And it's also just interesting because people are incredibly diverse regarding how they come at sex and what they think about and what their experiences have been. And getting a look at that diversity in a safe space, because that's one of the things that's so great about fic. And another way that I'll talk about shortly is that you can explore these things and you're safe. You're not in any physical danger from disease, from somebody actually assaulting you. And you can pull out phrasing. You can pull out anytime you want. You're not locked into a situation where you got to actually stop it with somebody and it's awkward even if it's not potentially dangerous, which it can be. It's a safe space to explore sexuality and I think that's so important. And then you explore it with somebody else and that's also great too. In a way that is just not the kind of thing that you get from any other experience of sexuality. You only get this from writing. And it's one of the reasons why I absolutely love writing just in general. So I'm going to shut up about that. Secondly, and this is something I really want to talk about a lot. I'm going to try and not make it too lengthy, but I think that it's important in general. And I think it's very important in this fandom because of who these characters are and what their history is with each other. And specifically, it's virginity. The specific comment is, I think it's a great tool for encouraging sex positivity, for showing agency, yes, and for opening discussion on what sex actually is. The answer is not a stiff dick in a hot box, no. I know you and I have discussed this before, because we have, what sex means, and I think it is great when people are aware of things like sex virginity not being binary concepts. I need to fucking talk about that. It also opens the discussion for disputing falsehoods. For example, that the relationship in Fifty Shades is not a DS relationship, dominant, submissive, but an unhealthy, abusive one. Yeah, I'm going to try and not ramble about that too, but fucking yes. Or that women enjoying and wanting sex is, you know, a thing. Yeah, uh, just to quickly jump in and not, like, jump in for a long time here. This is something that people often talk about regarding smut and fanfiction, is that because it is completely fan-created, and it's not something that we have to have permission to do, it's really us grabbing and owning our own sexuality and saying, you're not serving me, canon, culture, so I'm going to serve myself, so to speak. It's almost a form of resistance in some ways. And I think that's very, very important. It's important culturally, and I think it's important on a very personal level. Getting back to the actual comment, or just for simple things like the hymen is not ripped. Okay, yeah. Can I just jump in for a second and say that even if Beth is a virgin, her hymen is probably not intact. I mean, she's ridden horses and stuff. Quote unquote, losing her virginity probably does not involve a hymen at all. Yeah, just, you know, bear that in mind if it's not something you're thinking of. Back to comment. I'm not saying all smut works this way. Some is obviously even more problematic than Fifty Shades, but I think the fact that it is being discussed is valuable all on its own. Yes, and in general, 
This is one of the things that I love about Smut. It is a forum for discussion, not only a way for us to get off or whatever it is that we're actually doing with this stuff physically, getting off physically or getting off mentally, because getting off can mean a lot of different things. But virginity especially is something that's near and dear to my heart. And just to jump back to I'll Be Yours for a Song, which I, it's hard for me not to talk about that, by the way, because that fic is so important to me and so much of me is in there to talk about reading something being a way of really connecting with the author. If you read I'll Be Yours for a Song, you are connecting on such a deep level with me, just so you know that, whether or not you want to be. But one of the things I love about I'll Be Yours for a Song is that it, it directly engages with the idea of virginity as a binary. And it basically says, no, it is fucking not. Virginity is... Sexual experience is a spectrum along which people move. It's not a binary state where you're in one state and then you do this very specific thing that involves these very specific organs working together in a very specific way. And then after that point, you're completely different and there's no going back. That's not what it is. And that's what we talk about it in our culture, in in Western culture, and in particular, Western Judeo-Christian culture, it is something that we place so much emphasis on and so much importance on, particularly for women, which is incredibly unfair and incredibly gross and really destructive and harmful. And either this is something that you have to lose, and if you don't, there's something wrong with you. And can can I just spotlight, by the way, the word lose? That in itself is so fucking problematic. <laughs> Guys, I, I can't emphasize this enough. That it's something that you have to lose or there's something wrong with you or it's something that if you lose it not in the right context or the right setting, then there's something wrong with you. And one of the things that ends up happening as a result of it, and this is something that was very much on my mind when I was writing I'll Be Yours for a Song because Beth is a Southern Baptist girl, which means, first of all, that I think it isn't ridiculous to think that she that she hasn't really done anything. Yeah, she's had boyfriends. It's absolutely reasonable to think she has done things. I think it's reasonable to think that she hasn't. I don't think that's a ridiculous idea. I don't think it's a ridiculous idea that a teenage girl would want to hold off on just about everything because she just isn't comfortable with it yet. That's something that, yeah, we shouldn't expect girls to do that, but I don't think we should give girls shit for doing that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So she, in that fic, has wanted to just wait to do everything. It didn't feel right with Jimmy. It didn't feel right any other time. So she's doing things with Daryl. She starts doing things physically with Daryl long before they actually end up having penis and vagina sex, which she still thinks of as virginity. She does think of it that way because it's the culture she's embedded in and she can't turn it off. But she's doing stuff with him long before then. He's fingering her. She's jerking him off. They ha- there is no actual oral sex until they actually start having what we would think of as sex sex. But they're doing all kinds of stuff together. And at one point she explicitly says, I'm not a virgin. I don't know what I am. And I found that really sad to write because it meant that she was recognizing on some level that there is no place in our culture for that state. We only talk about it in terms of a binary, so you're either a virgin or you're not. There is no word for the concept of I've done some things, but there are other things that I haven't done. Or I've done some things, but this big thing that we think of as the thing, I haven't done that yet. We have no word for that. We don't allow for the concept. So she's trying to express it because virginity is an important idea to her throughout the fic and she doesn't know how. By the same token, Beth does want to wait to do this specific thing, with Daryl even. There's a scene where they go out to a field and the kissing gets extremely intense and she can feel that he's hard and he is thinking, I I might actually fuck this girl right now. And that might be 
really awesome. And she stops him. And she says, I'm not ready for this right now. I really like you. I want to do this with you. I'm pretty sure I want you to be my quote unquote first time, but I'm not ready for this yet. And of course he backs off immediately because he's sterile and he would never, ever, ever fucking try to push her into anything she didn't enthusiastically want to do. But it is a point where she says, this one thing is important enough to me that I don't want to do it yet. And I I really want to say again that I think that's valid. I think that we, in our eagerness to be sex positive, we end up kind of devaluing that idea. And I don't think we should. It's legitimate. I felt like that. That was my sexual experience. I was doing a lot of stuff before I actually, quote unquote, lost my virginity. And I felt like that was a little bit silly, but I also felt like it wasn't, and it was unfair for me to feel like it was silly. I wanted to wait because it was important to me, and that's not stupid. And that's something that we can talk about in fiction in a way that I think it's difficult to talk about face-to-face in a non-fictional setting where we're actually discussing things in a normal form for discussion. Fiction is great for that reason in general. You can use it to discuss concepts that are difficult in any other setting. And that's very much true of sex, because sex is hard to talk about. So fic allows for that. And I think it's really important. It's one of the reasons why this isn't just wank material. This isn't just something that gets us off. This isn't just something that we enjoy on a really base level. This is something we enjoy on a deep level. And it's something that is worth something because of the kind of personal growth that it allows for and the kind of safety that it gives people. Smut is important. Last Bethel Smut Week, I wrote something called Bethel Smut Saves Lives, and it was a little bit hyperbolic, but I kind of also meant that. Not that it literally saves lives, but that it can really help somebody who's not comfortable with sex. It can help somebody who's struggling a little bit with certain ideas. I've heard from people who have had really awful experiences of sexual assault, and Smutfic has helped them kind of find their way back to it, to sex. Smut has helped them find their way back to themselves. How fucking important is that? And it's not going to work that way for everybody, but it's going to work that way for some people. So I don't think that you can devalue this on any level. You can't devalue it in terms of its uh, usefulness in, in certain areas. And you also can't devalue it as useful and helpful and positive in a lot of other ways. And people do, and I don't like that. Obviously I don't, given how much time and effort I spend on writing the fucking stuff. Fifty Shades... Yes, just very briefly, also that. When I was writing Pacify, I didn't start writing Pacify as a direct response to Fifty Shades. I didn't write Pacify with the intention of it being any kind of cultural response to anything. But that's kind of what it ended up being, because it was really starting to explode in my imagination in a big way, and I was writing a lot of it just as the Fifty Shades movie came out, which ended up kind of rekindling a lot of interest in the book and in a lot of the stuff in the book and a lot of what the book is depicting in terms of a relationship and especially in terms of a relationship where the power dynamics are coming into play in a way that they aren't necessarily in another relationship. And one of the reasons why Pacify ended up feeling a little bit like Defiance is that one of the things that people who work in romance have seen that's that's troubling to a lot of people, and I think this is less the case now than it was, but this was the case for a while, is that the BDSM erotica, the kinky erotica that was being published, was disturbing in terms of what it said about sexual politics and gender. These were not depictions of healthy experiences between people. There were a lot of consent issues. There are problems regarding safety. There are problems regarding whether or not this is pleasurable for anybody. And here's the thing about problematic fic. I've written a lot of it. I like it. 
there are things about consent problems that I think it's, I think that people shouldn't be shamed for finding this stuff hot that they do. But I also think that when you're thinking about what gets you off and what you find hot and what you respond to sexually, it's worth, personally, I think, not agonizing over it, but it's worth being aware. I'm a good feminist. It's worth being aware that the personal is political and that you should absolutely enjoy whatever you enjoy. I love many things that are problematic. I just love them and I don't apologize for it. But what I do is I don't pretend that they're not problematic. Huge amount of kink is drawing on very problematic and somewhat harmful aspects of culture. Any kind of dominance and submission where to get kind of gender essentialist in a way that I try to avoid, where the man is dominant and the woman is submissive, is going to be drawing on a kind of sexual politics that's not necessarily great. But it, it's, it's awesome for people to do it in so many ways. I'm a kinky person. A lot of what I've written in Pacify is stuff I have personally done. It's stuff that I've experienced. I'm writing from personal experience. I'm writing from Beth's point of view in terms of the positions in those dynamics, phrasing. And I personally have found that incredibly fulfilling. It's been good for my relationship in a lot of ways. It's been good for my relationship with myself because it's helped me to understand that I'm strong in ways that I didn't know. So that's true of this particular kind of thing. But it's also important to recognize that, yeah, this is kind of an issue. So these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. They're bad when people are going into them and they're thinking that these potentially very abusive relationships are not only hot, but it's how it's supposed to be. Or this is what they should expect if they want to actually try any of this stuff for themselves. Pacify ended up being a way for me to jump into this discussion, even if it's just in my own head, and say, no, look, we can have incredibly heavy kink. We can have really intense stuff. We can have Daryl taking Beth down and throwing her against walls and wrenching her arm behind her back and, and holding knives to her throat and choking her and a whole bunch of other things he does to her that are not just intense in terms of physical sensation, but are intense in the sense of this is violent. This is, this is rough to the point of violence, but they can do these things and they enjoy it. It's not only consensual, it's enthusiastically consensual. And they're both just falling deeper and deeper in love with each other as they do these things. That somebody, if somebody was watching it from the outside, they would want to call the cops because it looks awful. But they both enjoy it so much and they're both getting so much closer to each other as they do it. And it's, it's joyful. It's a joyful experience. And I wanted to depict a relationship that was that way. I thought it was important to show that it was possible. And thirdly, final part of this comment, I think being able to write good smut is challenging. To me, it falls into the same category of an action sequence. It's tough to get on paper as there is a tendency to become overly flowery or to reduce it to moving parts. Yeah, that's so true. I knew once I had written something that was deemed sufficiently hot that I was improving as a writer. This is another misconception I think people have about porn, about smut, about erotica, about however you want to define this stuff. I think people think that it's easy. First of all, I think people think, oh, you know, fan fiction is all porn. I mean, a lot of it is, but not all. I think people think that fan fiction is all porn and that all of the porn is bad. And I mean, here's, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing about fan fiction and about writing in general. And this is, this is something that I don't think people are always comfortable hearing or comfortable coming out and saying so bluntly, but I'm going to do it. 90% of the stuff out there is awful. It is. 
It's just bad. And I'm not talking about our fandom. I'm talking about all of fan fiction. I'm talking about the fucking billions of stuff that's out there. 90% of it's awful. And that's not because of fan fiction. You find the same thing if you go into the world of professional writing. 90% of the stuff that editors get is, is dreck. It's terrible. But then you have the 10% that's really pretty good. And then you have like the 1% out of the 10% that's fabulous. It's the same profile in fan fiction, I think. Yeah, if, you, if you're digging into fan fiction, you're going to find some really bad shit. You're going to be searching through this pile of rocks to find some diamonds. And that, that isn't to say people can't get better. Everybody has to start somewhere. I wrote some really bad stuff originally. And then I kept writing and I got better. The people who think that there's a lot of bad stuff out there are, t- are to some degree correct. But it's really not easy to write good smut. It's hard. It's not only hard because you have to be able to depict some complicated things happening with bodies in a way that, yes, isn't just moving parts, but also isn't overly flowery. That's a line I still kind of have to tread. And I like to think I'm pretty damn good at this by now. So it's it's that. It's, it's complicated in terms of physics. Whenever I bring three people into it, and I've written a lot of Brickle, so... I fucking hate shit portmanteaus. I'm sorry, guys. I get hives every time I actually have to say it out loud. Anyway, I've written a lot of that by now. And I always feel like I kind of have to draw up a diagram to keep track of who is where and doing what to whom. And if I had to write four people, I've attempted that more than once, actually, in my early days in fandom. God, like 15 fucking years ago. And it was, I don't know how I did it. And I don't want to go back and read it because I'm sure it's not good. But it's something where you have to have like a flowchart. It's just difficult to do this well, period. And it's not just difficult in terms of the mechanics and the descriptions. If you're going to make it hot, you have to be able to do that. And that's difficult. And there's a lot more pressure to do it well than there is in other kinds of writing. But you also have to be able to get into these characters' heads, like I said a little while ago, in a really deep way. You have to be able to know who these people are because you need to bring in the psychology and the emotions, I think. I don't think good smut is devoid of psychology. I don't think that that exists. And I'm not just talking about what I like and don't like. I just don't think it's good, like objectively, if it doesn't have that stuff in it. That's tough. If you're going to write a character in character, sexually, you have to know that character inside and out. You have to really, really be careful about making that character do what they would do in this situation. Not that you always have to write that. Out of character stuff can be fun. But if you're doing that and you really want to do it well, you have to be really good. And not only do I think you have to be good to do it well, but I think that writing it is an exercise. It is challenging. It is something that whenever you challenge yourself as a writer, you get better. It's like anything else. When you push yourself, you get better. If you don't push yourself, you just kind of stay at a plateau. And if you are a serious writer, then one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to want to be constantly getting better. So doing something challenging is a way to do that, and and writing good smut, if it's something that you are inclined to do and not everybody is, I think it's a great way to get better at everything. Get better at writing that has nothing to do with sex, because the skills that you learn when you write good porn are translatable to just about everything else that you could do in terms of writing. So, to finish this up, for this part of this two-part episode... I asked people, and and this this was a question that was really interesting to me because it's something that's a really big part of my own experience with Fick and this fandom. What were you not into before? And then suddenly you read Beth and Daryl doing it, and, and then you really changed your mind in kind of an abrupt and intense way. 
because that's absolutely been my experience. I'll talk about Daddy Kink in a minute. But one of the other things that I've done that, that worked in the same way is that I wasn't into period sex at all. Not only not only was I not into it, but I was squicked by it. And this is something that I actually try to do sometimes. Not only do I try to write something that I don't personally feel strongly positively about, but I might grab something that's a squick and try to write it. Because that's a big challenge. If this is something that you're inclined to do at all, if this is something you feel capable of doing, picking something that you are really not into in a oh god no kind of way and being like okay I'm gonna see if I can get out of my head to the point where I can actually write this well because you have to be into something on some level in order to write it at all well and one of the things that I have discovered in myself is that a lot of times what I need to do is just kind of get a little closer to it and kind of really look at it and examine it and understand why somebody would find it hot. And if I do that, not uncommonly, at least the times where I've tried this, what's ended up happening is that, oh, it actually turns out that it is hot. One of the other things besides daddy kink, again, which I'll get to in a minute, that ended up working this way for me was a period sex fic that I wrote not too long ago. And I wrote it because I wanted to see if I could fucking do it. Period sex wasn't really a thing of mine. It wasn't something that I was intensely not into. It wasn't something I thought was disgusting, but it just wasn't something I thought... It wasn't something I thought I would personally enjoy doing. And it also wasn't something that I personally enjoyed thinking about. But people kept saying, there's no blood in Pacify. There's really no blood play. There's there's nothing going in that direction. And somebody said, and I, I thought this was interesting, and I never really teased it out in a psychological way, but for some reason, and I'm actually not sure why this is the case, I was like, I actually think this is probably true. Or at least this makes sense for this character. They said, I think that it's reasonable to think that Daryl would have a really intense reaction to blood. Again, I don't know why I agree with this. I haven't really done a lot of serious thinking about it. I think that would be cool. And I wasn't really ready to do blood play in Pacify, it's one of the things I haven't personally really done. I've done needles, which involves blood, but I haven't really focused on blood specifically in my own experience. So I'm a little more reluctant to write about it because it's going to involve research, and if something's going to involve research, then I'm going to have to have the time and the energy to do it, and I just have not had that lately. But I was like, okay, I don't think I need to do a whole lot of research for period sex. I'm going to try and write it. And I'm going to jump in. I'm not going to be like, it's not going to be like him fucking her. And she's on her period. It's going to be, I'm going to just all in. He's going down on her. And suddenly, very unexpectedly, her period happens. And he's covered in blood. And she's not expecting it. And it comes out of nowhere. And she's incredibly embarrassed. And she's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, Daryl. Oh, no. And he's like, no, this is fine, actually. And he just dives right back in. And she's like, okay, I guess this is happening now. And she gets over her shame pretty quickly and is really into it. And as I was writing it, I again, I was just all in. I was thinking, okay, not only am I doing this, but I'm going to really get into the description and I'm going to make it messy. And there's just going to be blood everywhere. And I'm going to talk about the taste of the blood and I'm going to talk about the texture of it. And I'm going to talk about how Daryl is emotionally reacting to it in that moment and about how he's really finding it intimate. And he's, it's not just, this is hot. For him, it's, this is just another way in which I'm so close to this person. I love all of them. This is not disgusting to me because it's her. And I got to this point in the middle of a fic where I was like, 
I actually really like this. I still don't know if this is something that I would personally really want to do, but yeah, it, it kind of changed my whole perspective on this thing that I thought was kind of gross before. And that was really cool, I thought. So that's one example. I'll talk about Daddy Kink in a minute. One comment, and I think this is cool, says, absolutely was not into the word cunt. For reasons probably most people would think, except out of all fandoms I've belonged to and been involved with smutfic for, this is the first one we're using cunt in an anatomical context. Not only does it make me flinch, it actually makes me like how it sounds. Yeah, something that, to jump right back to Albiris for a song, for a minute, I really tried to use not like overly gritty sexual language in that, but I did not use prettied up euphemisms for things. Beth has a cunt. I was talking about the cunt all the fucking time. I was, I think, trying to do beautiful prose, but I was also using that word, and I was using the word cock all over the place. And I was trying to be graphic without being crude, I guess you would say. I still think I'm not totally thrilled with that word, but that's the best one I can think of right now. And I wanted to do that because I really wanted to talk about these parts of somebody's body in a way that doesn't present them as dirty things and doesn't present them as shameful things and things that are crude in a way that's not good. I wanted to to put this word in the context of prose I was actively trying to make beautiful. Just a quick example, I started using pussy when I was doing a lot of daddy kink because it, there's something about it in dialogue that worked for me in a way that putting it in regular prose just didn't. And then I got comfortable enough with it that I started using it in Howl. And one of the reasons why I did that is it's from Beth's point of view, not from Daryl's. And I kind of feel like that opens up different ways of thinking about her own sexual organs that I I almost always write from Daryl's point of view, because that's more comfortable for me for a lot of reasons. But here suddenly I'm writing from Beth's point of view entirely, because that's her point of view throughout the entire fic. and, And she is virginal. Physically, she hasn't really done anything, but she is kind of world-weary and knows a lot about sex at this point. When she works at a gas station and when she's bored, she looks through porn mags and is sort of disturbed by what they're doing to her own attitude towards sex. And then she meets Daryl and she's getting into Daryl physically and he's also a werewolf. So that brings a whole new aspect into the whole situation. And she talks about her pussy. Or, you know, it's not a first person, but it's still her point of view, so that's the word I end up using. I wasn't into that word. I thought that word was stupid. I thought it was just kind of silly. Or I thought it was pornographic in a way that wasn't good. I'm not totally thrilled with that description either, but again, it's the best one I can think of. And now the situation's changed, and I really like it. And it's not what I always use, and I still, for a lot of reasons, don't think I would use it from Daryl's point of view. There's just something about it that doesn't ring true to me. But... It's something that I got comfortable using, and I didn't think I would. And Fick did that to me because, again, I was pushing myself. I was really trying to get to a point where I was confronting discomfort in a way that would expand some boundaries. And it worked wonderfully. And I think that the words that we use that are really deep into what's going on, that are really intimate, the words we use for people's genitals, the words we use for cum. Like, are you talking? How are you describing this fluid? It's... It's actually important, I think, because the moment at which somebody comes and what happens physically at that moment is it in itself can be hot and it in itself is really intimate because somebody's body is doing something that's completely out of their control. And in that moment, you are so close to them and they are so vulnerable 
So how you describe it physically matters. It re- I really think it does. If you're describing Daryl's cum in a really graphic way and you're talking about the texture and if it's in Beth's mouth, you're talking about how it tastes. I think that that, depending on what you want to be doing with what you're writing about, I think that that's worth putting some thought into. And I think that getting to different levels of graphicness is something that can stretch you as a writer. And it's something that I do consciously and that I find very helpful. And if this is sort of a writing suggestion, if people out there are at all interested in that, try to do that. Go to where the discomfort is. If you can do it without disturbing yourself too much, go to the discomfort, dig into it, and try to actually pick what scares you, pick what's uncomfortable for you, if it's not really disturbing or triggering for you, and and try to do it. See if you can. If you can't, stop. Nobody's making you do it. Nobody has a gun to your head. But if you can, it might be really great for you, actually. And I, I love this comment because... Again, it's not just a word. It is a word that has particular cultural context. It's a word that has specific connotations. And it's a word that takes your prose into a specific place. And you can leave it there. Or you can grab it and try to pull it back into something else. Your prose can get very unpretty if you do that. You can also remain beautiful. So I love that. I love that. Finally, the daddy kink. This is such a complicated thing to talk about. And it's problematic in a lot of ways. And it's problematic in ways that have, obviously, I don't think that this is shocking to anybody, that have a specific context in this pairing that you wouldn't necessarily have in another pairing because of the age difference. And obviously, for people who are assholes to us, the age difference is one of the things that they pick on. In fact, the age difference is probably the biggest thing. It's probably what they really go for. We get called pedophiles. We get called people who are supporting pedophilia, which, again, this is something people have talked to death. This is nothing new, but I'm going to mention it because it drives me fucking crazy. No, it isn't. By definition, it isn't pedophilia. It doesn't fit pedophilia, and calling it that diminishes the real harm that it does and diminishes it as a problem, and I hate that. It really fucking pisses me off. Beth is not a prepubescent child. She's not. And... Calling it that does her a huge disservice as well. And Daryl, because it makes him out to be a predator. The fuck are you guys doing? Sorry. Anyway, back to, back to happy stuff. It's a problem because it does kind of take that and play it up in a big way. And it's also a problem because of the culture that it's drawing on. And here's, here's something that I really want to make clear, and it's something that even people who like it might not know. Psychologists, to the extent that they've studied this, and and they have, psychologists study sex, particularly psychologists who are thinking about what specific things to include in the DSM, you know, the big encyclopedia of various kinds of psychological conditions and disorders that are officially recognized by the field. And what psychologists have determined from studying it is that the people who do it, the people who who are into daddy kink, the people who are into age play, has nothing to do with pedophilia. Nothing. The people who like it are not pedophiles, and it has nothing to do with sexual attraction to kids. It's not about that. The people who are doing it are sexually attracted to their sexually mature partner. What they're into is the psychology. What they're into is the emotion. And it's very, very complex what's going on with somebody psychologically and emotionally when they're doing it. It's clearly something that is latching onto part of our culture regarding the sexualization of very young girls that is not good. 
It's not something, sorry evolutionary psychologists, it's not something that men are hardwired to like. It's cultural. Our culture sexualizes young girls in a way that's really bad. And it's clearly drawing on that to some degree. And one of the reasons why it does it is that it's taboo. And if you want to make something hot, make it forbidden. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. We are turned on, even if we don't want to admit it, a lot of us are turned on by stuff that we're not supposed to be turned on by because it's hot that we're not supposed to be turned on by. And the forbiddenness is one of the things that I think people really find sexy. It's one of the things I find sexy about it. It's, it's kind of fucked up. That's kind of hot. But it has nothing to do with actual pedophilia, and people need to really understand that. And a lot of people don't believe it. But sorry, guys, this isn't my opinion. This is science. So, yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with that. What it's about is, among other things, it's about innocence. And it's about the process of moving kind of from a state of innocence into something much deeper. And, yeah, that's kind of, I think that's taking something that's really kind of base and elevating it maybe even beyond where it should be. But that is kind of what it is. It's about innocence. It's about innocence and it's about experience. And it's about what happens when those two things come together sexually. So that's part of it in general. That's part of the kink in general. And here's, here's the other thing. And this is something that I think a lot of people in this fandom aren't comfortable with. Really playing up. And I totally get why. And I don't want to like force those people into some kind of personal admission that they're uncomfortable with. But people shit on us for the age difference. I will never say that the age difference doesn't matter. I like the age difference. I think the age difference in itself is hot. I wouldn't necessarily think that with other characters, though. It would creep me out. It doesn't creep me out with Beth and Daryl, obviously, because their relationship by nature would never be predatory. She would never allow it and he would never do it. It just would never fucking happen. It's out of character for it to be predatory. Them getting into a sexual relationship with each other, regardless of whether or not it squicks you... If you're going to think about who these characters really are, you have to own that it wouldn't be predatory. Or suddenly these characters aren't themselves anymore. It's something else that really fucking bugs me. It's like these people don't understand these characters. Yeah, I'm not going to get too into this because I'll get really angry. I'm going to talk about this in another podcast, though, because that's how much it pisses me off. And this is really, I try to make this a really positive podcast, but you know what? It's not always going to be because I have a temper and there's a lot to be pissed off about. So yeah, the age difference. I like it. I think a lot of us like it. I think a lot of us get off on it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that we should have to defend that. I'm not going to pretend that's not part of it for me. It's not by any means the whole part. I love these characters in the, in and of themselves. And I think regardless of their ages, although their ages are a huge part of who they are, I would want them together. But the age difference is nice. And bring something like age play into it and suddenly you're playing it up in a different way. And you're, you're taking these two characters, it's sort of like any kind of kink, you're taking these two characters who have a specific power dynamic. And I personally think it's kind of my headcanon that, I mean, first of all, it's my headcanon that Daryl is asexual, specifically that he's demisexual. You know, he doesn't experience sexual attraction. He doesn't enjoy sex with somebody else unless he feels a very strong emotional bond with them and he trusts them and he feels comfortable with them. Otherwise, he's just, he's not interested. It's just not on his radar, even. And I think that completely fits with his character. I think that we have a huge amount of canon support for that. Because for a character who is incredibly sexualized outside of the show, he has no sexuality whatsoever. It just, it's, it's 
it's weird how little a part of his character it is. It's so little a part of his character that I feel like it has to be intentional. I think the writers mean to do it. I don't think it's that they're sort of forgetting about him. I don't see how they can do that because they keep finding ways for his arms to be displayed, even if... Okay, like, like always accountable. I was fucking cracking up because, you know, he was wearing a long sleeve thing and then he crashes the bike and he's all muddy and bleeding and, oh, he has to pull off his long sleeve jacket thing in order to actually look at the wound and there are his arms and then it stays off for the entire rest of the episode. Oh, we found a reason to show off Daryl's arms for the entire episode. Yeah. Now, you, you guys fucking meant to do that. Don't pretend you didn't. They know that he's attractive. They know that one of the reasons why he's a huge rating straw is that he's hot, but he's not sexualized. And that's so weird to me. And I love it because I think it's something you don't see very much in media. You don't see it very much, especially on a show like this. It's interesting and weird, and I love it. So it's my headcanon that Daryl's asexual. Which means that if he's really sexually inexperienced, and some of the writers have said, you know, I don't think it's out of line to think he might be a virgin. Like, it's just, it's not. It's not out of line to think that he might really have done nothing with anybody. God, wouldn't it be awesome if he really was a virgin? Like, that would be flying in the face of how we normally think about virginity and age, and it would be flying in the face of what we normally think about masculinity and sex, which is that men are supposed to want it constantly and pursue it aggressively. And we don't see that with Daryl. And it would be amazing if we actually had it confirmed somehow that he'd never had sex with anybody. That would make me so fucking happy. Oh my god. Anyway, it's my headcanon that he's asexual, which means that when he is exploring sex with, let's say, Beth... It's a very different experience than it would be for somebody else. So I think that it's it's realistic to think he's not very sexually experienced. I think it's realistic to think that he would be kind of submissive because he is. In Beth and Daryl's relationship, Beth is the one with almost all of the power. It's either very egalitarian or the power is tipped heavily in her favor. And that's great because it means she has a huge amount of agency. And it protects this relationship to a significant degree, I think, from being read as predatory. It isn't predatory because of these specific characters. With other characters, it very well might be. Something else that people who are assholes to us don't seem to understand. It's because of these characters. But it's this dynamic. He is not the one with all the power. She's the one with a huge amount of the power. Put them together in this kind of role play where he's the dominant one in the sense of being more experienced. And she's you know, kind of the one with not as much power in the sense that she's this sort of innocent little girl. And then suddenly you have something very interesting, I think. Interesting in the way that any kind of situation where he's dominant and she's submissive is, if you're really trying to keep them in character. Because how would they even get to that point? And in fact, I only was able to get to that point and pacify A, when I was comfortable with it, which took me a while, and B, when these characters were at a place in their relationship with each other where Daryl was comfortable enough with his own dominance that he could do this to her. And she, even so, in the fic where I bring it in, she springs it on him and he is so freaked out that he almost uses the safe word. He's almost like, I I cannot fucking deal. I cannot fucking deal with this. What the fuck is this? And then he's like, oh, okay. I'll see where this goes. And then by the end of it, he's like, I saw where that went. And I think I'd like to go there again. But that's something else about it. She's the one who introduces it. He doesn't He doesn't come in and say, like, I, Beth, I kind of like you call me daddy. That's not what happens. She wants to. She springs it on him. She does it. And it happens because she's the one who's decided that it will happen. There are all kinds of things you can do here to keep this relationship from being predatory that are already there in the relationship between these two characters in canon. 
It's wonderful for that reason. It's one of the reasons why I fucking love it. But yeah, there is something about this with these two characters that I think makes it not predatory. It pr- that protects it from being predatory in a way that you wouldn't find elsewhere, but also emphasizes in some ways how much of a problem it is and how fucked up it is. And clearly it gets even more fucked up if you bring things into the realm of incest play, which I've done. And like with role-playing a very young girl with a much older guy, it's fantasy. It's not something that, it's not like I think this is good in real life. It's not like I think that this is something that should be socially acceptable actually in real life outside of role-play. Same thing with incest. Um, People who find that hot, I think a lot of them don't think that this is something that should actually happen. A lot of them don't actually want to do it. It's about the psychology. It's about how taboo it is. It's about the relationships involved. It's about what kinds of things you're digging into emotionally. It's not about the thing in itself, really. And I think the same thing is true here. But it is kind of a problem. And I've ended up loving it. And the one person who sent in this comment, yeah, wasn't into it and then read it. And then suddenly it turned out, oh, I just needed to look at it from this specific angle. And in fact, just to kind of get back around to the age gap between Beth and Daryl, completely without any kind of kink involved, I think one of the reasons why those of us who like it might really like it is because it is so unusual and it is so different. It's not a normal age gap relationship. It's it's not. Again, I personally, age gap relationships are not something I'm actually into in most cases. It's not that I've never liked them before this. I have, but it's not like that's an automatic turn on for me. But there's something about Beth and Daryl that really makes it that way. And I think it is because the power dynamic is so unpredatory. I think it makes sense to find something hot that's just different, simply by virtue of its difference. I think that's part of it for me. It feels like something that I can approach in a way that I wouldn't be able to approach in another sense. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us. This is a place in which we feel safe, that we wouldn't necessarily feel safe elsewhere. Now, I should also say that I like Rick and Beth. I don't like it as much, and I don't like it in the same way, but I like it a lot. And one of the things that you probably will notice if you read my brick... Sorry, portmanteau. If you read my brick stuff is that it's not nearly as healthy. I mean, in my giant AU of an AU, uh, Till You Fill It With Me, which is the brickle thing that I'm still poking at, uh, it's it's healthy in that all three of these people are in love and trust each other, and, you know, it's, it's a good relationship, and eventually they have a kid, and it's cute. But the sex is really rough. It's pacify. So it's kinky, and the, there are a lot of, there's a lot of fucking around power dynamics, and, and Beth is... You know, she's tied up and she's thrown around and she's exposed to stuff that, again, if you saw it from the outside, you would think, oh, God, that's really abusive and degrading. But she loves it because she loves it because she wouldn't fucking do it if she didn't love it. She just wouldn't allow it to happen. And from Daryl's place, it's it's exactly like the rest of Pacify in that it's sweet and it's joyful and there's nothing really fucked up about it at all at heart. Because at heart, he's a real innocent, I think, in a lot of ways. Even even at that point, he's still an innocent in a way that has nothing to do with being naive. Rick is not like that. With Rick, there's always this edge of it being kind of fucked up. And when I write just them together, it just... Even if it's completely consensual and even if it's not necessarily unhealthy, I just... I think by this point in the show, Rick's messed up. Rick is not okay. And I think that's actually true throughout a lot of the show. I think that when he's okay, 
he's grabbed for something that at that point is not necessarily a natural part of his nature, so to speak. When he's trying to be okay in season four, I think you can kind of see that he's, it's sort of a last-ditch attempt on his part to grab for his humanity. And then the prison falls, and he kind of loses it, and he never really gets it back. And in Alexandria, he's just fucking scary still. Like, he's still not okay. He's faking it pretty well, but he's not. And I think that that's going to mean that his sexuality's fucked up, too. I don't think that that's going to end up being the case on the show. I don't think that that's actually going to end up being canonical, which is fine. Things I like and things that I think fit with someone's character don't actually have to be canon. But I do think it makes sense for him to be like this. I do think it makes sense for him to be in this place. So when he does stuff with Beth in the situations where I've written just them, which aren't, there aren't a huge number of those, it's fucked up. And there's an age gap. But I think, I think the age gap works differently for me there. And I think there I'm explicitly enjoying how fucked up it is. Which again, I make no apology for. I recognize and own that it's a, it's a problematic thing. And I recognize and own that it's drawing on some cultural stuff that's not healthy. But you know, I also really like it and I'm not going to pretend that I don't. And people can deal with that or not as they want to. But it's different for me. And I still don't think that I would be into it with other characters in that way. It has to do with these specific people, both Rick and Daryl. So to kind of sum up, I don't, I don't exactly know why this works the way it does. I think it's complicated. I think it has so much to do with who these people are. It has so much to do with their history with each other. It has to do with the fact that the power dynamics here are not normal in the sense that they're not what you would find in another work of fiction. I mean, clearly not, because every work of fiction is different. But I think the fact that it is a piece of fiction that is set in a situation where society has kind of collapsed. So norms don't work entirely the way that they do. And people's relationships are backgrounded by a very stressful and very dangerous world. And I think that that means that things happen that you wouldn't find elsewhere. And these characters have experience and histories with each other that you wouldn't find elsewhere that contribute to the power dynamics between them. So I think that it's real specific, and at least it is for me. And the other thing about this that makes it a little difficult to talk about, I personally think, is that it is so personal. And it is so deep into somebody's psychology that by nature it's going to be highly subjective. And not everybody's going to feel the same way. So I think that that's a caveat I should issue here. I'm only speaking from my own experience. I can't speak for other people. I'm just saying that this is how it works for me, and I suspect that this is true for other people. This is my idea of what might be going on psychologically for other people in this fandom who also enjoy this. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up and stop rambling, and I'm going to get to the actual smut, which is, again, by me. And it is, again, the second work in the Pacify series, and... In some significant ways, although the first fic is where a lot of this kind of gets introduced into these characters' minds as something that they could potentially do, this is the fic where Beth really starts to realize this is something that's potentially opening a door to some very different things that I haven't explored with this person that are a little frightening, that are going into a place that isn't entirely comfortable for me, But I want to go there, I want to explore it, because I think that there's something here that could be worth having as a part of our relationship. So this is, this is, this is smut, uh, but it is also heavy on the psychology, and it's one of the reasons why I really like it. So yeah, gonna jump into that, and then I'm gonna wrap things up, and I will see you after the porn. (laughs) 
Never Tell Me No by Dynamic Symmetry. So, that happened. For a while, things go back to normal. For a given value of normal. Normal doesn't apply here, she thinks. It hasn't for a long time. It's not just the dead. It's not just that. That much would have burned normal to the ground and scattered the ashes all by itself, but it's everything that went with it. Her life also went up in flames. His, everyone's. And the last couple of years have been a constant process of figuring out what anything even means anymore. Death is just one more of those things. She feels it still. She went somewhere. And when she came back, sometimes she thinks not all of her did. She left something behind. She's trying to fill the hole. A part of her that's at once a little bit embarrassed and a little bit wicked laughs at that idea. That turn of phrase. You know, considering. He always made her feel just a little bit more alive. The hot days are here to stay. And it turns out that in spite of it being technically north of Georgia, the D.C. metro area is just as much of a goddamn swamp as any place she's ever been, sticky and disgusting with air that clings like sweat mist to your skin. It makes her itch, makes everyone cranky, because air conditioning is still fairy tale, no matter how many other little luxuries they've reclaimed. But as she works in gardens and patrols the walls with Maggie and Carol, and helps with Judith, and takes target practice with various people... Every time she passes him, it's like the air is dry enough to turn everything into static lightning. She touches him in all kinds of little ways that might be accidental. Brush of fingers, his shoulder, his back, the nape of his neck, his hip, anywhere she can. And she would feel almost like she's bothering him. Apparently she's still capable of feeling like that about him now and then. But for the fact that she's positive he's doing the same with her. It's like a prick in her skin. A hundred of them, rolling their bright little sparks all the way to her cunt. Tiny little needles of how much she fucking wants him. Fuck. That's a word with which she's getting more comfortable than she used to be. Time was she thought about making love. She thought about it being so slow, so tender, about how special it would be. She still wants that, is the thing. She still wants it so much. Wants to feel how much he cherishes her and how careful he is with her. How he refuses to rush things with her, even if there are a lot of reasons to rush. That in itself is exciting, if she's honest. How it makes her feel wanted, needed, when she gets to hitch her legs over his hips, his hand at the dip at the small of her back and pulling her more firmly against him, kissing a trail down her throat and letting her feel every second of his deep, even thrusts. She loves how he's found a way to circle her clit with his tongue giving her occasional slow, hard strokes that keep her on edge for what feels like hours until he's decided she's had enough and topples her over. Even then he doesn't release her, grabs her hips and keeps his mouth on her until she's muffling her hiccuping little cries with one hand and pushing at his head with the other. They still aren't exactly sharing a bed, but a few weeks ago they stopped leaving afterward, and now she loves how she gets to fall asleep with her head on his shoulder, tracing absent little designs over his chest and stomach with her fingertips. None of this is what she expected. Normal is an incredibly outdated idea. She wants him to make love with her. But more and more and more, and here, yes, she flushes all the way from her ears down to her chest. Beth Green wants Daryl Dixon to fuck her until she just can't take it anymore. She knows she might have to push. She's very aware of that. She did with the tool shed. She did with the belt. Except that part had been all him so maybe she doesn't actually have to push all that hard. It's a muggy Saturday night. 
There's a barbecue. A barbecue. She still sort of can't get her head around that because it's a little too close to what normal used to be like. But they aren't out there with everyone else. They're here in her bed. She's practically shoved onto the floor. And this is exactly how she wants to be. Spread out under him. Spread wide for him. Wanting him so bad it hurts her because it's been days and she's not sure she can remember ever needing it like this. She rakes her hands into his hair and rolls her entire body up against his. And maybe after the tool shed, she shouldn't have trouble with this. But she doesn't know how to tell him that she needs him to be harder, needs him to make her feel him. She doesn't know how to tell him that she wants what he did before. Something that felt like it was treading an edge. A sharp one. Something a little dangerous. The world is so dangerous now. She shouldn't want more of it. Could be that's exactly why she does. It already made one very solid effort to kill her and failed. She's pretty confident these days. But maybe what happened in the tool shed spooked him, because she can feel the hesitance in him. His cock is nudging the inside of her thigh, and when she runs her hands over his arms, she can feel the little tremble that's worked its way into his muscles, that she only feels when he's with her like this, like there's something under his skin trying to fight his way out, like his body is struggling to contain it. He's struggling too much right now. She looks up. There's light spilling in through the window. Firelight, lantern light, and that makes small warm reds and honey golds. Faint echo of laughter. People are happy tonight. She doesn't see any reason why they shouldn't be. Outside the dead rule, but in here there's all the life they can grab for. Grab. Pull. Drag into themselves. Consume. There's a side to this business that's sweet and gentle, she thinks. This business of living. There's that side, in which she always believed which she carried in herself like a treasure. Then there's something else. Something red in tooth and claw that dances back toward the dead just to spit in their faces. She touches his cheek, runs her fingers down to his mouth and then to his jaw. He's hot, and it's not just the ambient temperature. He's burning over her, and for an instant she imagines his blood thundering through his veins, simultaneously running from and chasing his roaring heart. That's what she wants to feel. It's okay, she whispers, and his eyes widen. It's all right. Promise, Daryl, it's all right. What is? She can tell he's about to ask, and she doesn't give him the chance. She doesn't want to have to answer the question, and anyway, he knows. He's known for days. He's been carrying it around just like she has. She reaches between them, curls her hand around the base of his cock, and guides him into her. And that's careful. That's gentle. And she takes a second to relish his soft gasp, but as soon as he starts to roll his hips, pushing deeper, she bares her teeth and digs her nails into his upper arm. He jumps. In that warm, liquid light, she sees him staring at her, mouth slightly open, but he hasn't pulled out of her, hasn't pulled away, and under the shock there's a distant flare of recognition. Christ, why did he wait? She grins at him. Partly it's to show him, to provide some kind of proof that she's telling the truth but it's also because she can't help it. His face is hilarious. If he doesn't push past it, she thinks she might start laughing, and she's not sure how he would take that. So she tenses the hook she's made of her fingers and drags them in a slow, deep scratch, letting teeth slip back into that grin, hoping the light catches them. She wants no room for misinterpretation. Come on, she whispers, and it twists on the last consonant, and she almost groans. He's in her, but it's not enough, and she rolls her hips against him again, trying to do what for the moment, he isn't. Fucking hell, Daryl. Come on, she says again, not whispers, pitches it into an impatient little whine. In her own ears, she sounds petulant, a bit spoiled, 
but she gets what she wants with him. She should. He's hers. She would probably be shocked at herself, a few months and one bullet removed. A lot has changed since then. But she can already see she doesn't have to push much more. He's still not moving, still just gazing down at her, but that gaze is darkening, something she's only seen once before drifting like smoke into the light of his eyes. She actually shivers, watching it, and not for the first time she wonders if she might release something she can't contain. Except she doesn't believe that. That's a fantasy. The truth is always going to be more complicated. She claws at him again, and the last constructed restraints crumble and fall. They are and perhaps always were unnecessary. In a voice she barely recognizes, she hisses, You gonna fuck me, or do I have to do it myself? Another peal of laughter from outside seems to act as a trigger. And he moves. It's fast. It's so fast it rips the breath out of her. It was like this before, she thinks. She pushed and pushed, and when he snapped, it was startling how quick he flung everything back at her. A spring releasing. An explosion of kinetic energy. He doesn't fuck her. He pulls back from her. And she's just opening her mouth to issue a startled complaint when he grips her by the hips and flips her over like she's made of twigs. Except he wouldn't, if he really thought she was. And with a hard jolt, it comes home to her. How when he does this, it's because he knows she's strong. When he shoves her face first into the mattress and hauls her ass into the air and buries his cock so deep in her it almost hurts, it's because he knows she's strong. Terrell! His name comes out in a tight, delighted exhale, almost a squeak, and then she does laugh as he fucks her. No pause, no slow build-up in his rhythm, hard and fast enough to make the bed frame rattle, because she gets what she wants with him, because he's hers. Oh, God! Terrell! Terrell! Just for a moment she gropes for words and all she finds is his name. He's still just holding her hips, but it feels like his hands are everywhere at once, rough enough to bruise. And he did bruise her that last time, and every time she caught glimpses of it, she loved it. On her waist and her back and shoulders, her arms, her wrists. Pulling at her, twisting, squeezing. She wants that. Wants exactly that. Every thrust sending waves of a strange, dense pleasure crashing through her. She wants him to do that to her. Find ways to hurt her that don't hurt. Find ways to finally give her whatever it is she's been needing for so long. He fucks her into the bed and she muffles her groans in the pillows. And then she thinks, hell with it. She picks her head up, lets the words come the way she did before, gasping in time with the thudding of her heart and his cock into her. Terrell, yes, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, until a smile works its way into the words, until she's almost laughing again. She never wants to be afraid to say it. Not anymore. He hasn't said anything. He's this massive, silent force behind her and inside her, and there's something about that she likes, but all at once he seizes her shoulder and drags her up, rocks back on his knees so she's almost resting in his lap, half straddling him. He's handling her like a doll, one hand finding her breast and clamping down on her so sharply that pain flashes bright and hot through her, and she lets out a little cry, which chokes into silence when his other hand closes over her throat and squeezes. For the smallest fraction of a second, she's terrified. She has only ever allowed herself to think this in the vaguest of ways, only in little flashes, because it's too horrible to contemplate directly. And it's too horrible in no small part because of how profoundly she knows it would horrify him. But he could hurt her. He could really hurt her, if he wanted to. She's frozen. He's frozen. Outside is still laughter and now faint music, but in here, in this stiflingly hot room, everything is silent and cold. He turns his head then. His lips brush the outer edge of her ear, his breath warm against her neck. She knows. 
So many times he's leaned in like this, whenever they're crossing paths during the day, or sharing a meal, or lying in tangles and drifting back down together. And he's leaned in and whispered, I love you. Beth, I love you. She reaches up to her throat and covers his hand with hers. It's all right. Everything is kind of a blur after that. Later, looking in the bathroom mirror and surveying the damage, she'll wonder what it is about the line between pleasure and pain that it can dissolve so easily. She'll wonder if maybe it's something about her, if something about her is wired wrong, maybe always was, and she just never knew, or if maybe it's more recent than that. She'll wonder if it matters, because what she'll remember is wonderful. Deep, heavy movement, riding an earthquake. Awkward, a little clumsy like this, but they find a way to make it work and she rises and falls with him, one arm hooked back over his neck, holding on. For dear life? Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Dear life, which he's fucking into her, pushing it out of her and things that would be almost screams if he wasn't cutting them off with his hand over her mouth, fingers slipping past her lips and heavy on her tongue as she sucks at them. His palm on her throat, and yes, at one point she does have to struggle to breathe, just a little, and she almost comes right then. She has no idea how long it goes on. Could be a long time. Could be hours. It can't be. There's no way either of them could manage that. But what the hell? Normal is dead and gone, after all. And she's not sure any of the old rules apply. Not to this. Not to them. And they reach for her together, fingers colliding over her clit, and she arches back against him and laughs like something careless and wild. And she's not even sure which of them makes her come in the end. Only that she does... And it's like falling apart in his arms. Somehow it is like that other side, that gentler side. He's practically snarling in her ear as he follows her, teeth bared against the nape of her neck. But beneath it, she can feel such a heavy sweetness. Beth, I love you. There's no order in which they collapse. It just happens. A mutual tumble that's almost harmonious. Sticky, boneless, lost between panting and still laughing, and he sounds utterly shocked, reaching for her and murmuring her name. It's him again, just Daryl. But it was Daryl then, too. It was always him. That's the point. And he doesn't sound sorry. This is the start of something different, she thinks, curled against him with his arms tied around her. Not the tool shed, not his belt, not really. This is the start. And after this, everything will be skewed just a little bit further to the side. Just a little bit weirder. Everything undergoing redefinition. Which, really, if there's any such thing as normal, maybe it's this. This constant shifting. Realizing that borders and boundaries don't mean all that much anymore. Life and death are blurry categories these days. But she is alive. She never wants to forget that. There are lots and lots of ways he can remind her. Because he's hers. Yeah, so hope you enjoyed that. Reading Smut's fun for me. I never thought that it would be this fun. I mean, it's still something I'm kind of learning how to do. Um, <laughs> making noises is something that I'm going to have to work on a little bit. But it's something that, again, I'm enjoying more than I thought. 
it's something that I'm definitely going to do more of. I'm looking forward to reading the next story next time, the next part of this two-part episode, which will be, by the way, Just Like a Stranger, Just Like I Am, which is co-written by Deary Girl and Open Hearts. It is one of my very favorites. And it's another one, by the way, that manages somehow to be slow burn in it's 3,211 words long. And it's fucking slow burn. And I don't know how this is done. It's like some kind of dark magic. But yeah, so I will be reading that for you. And it will be a lot of fun. And I'm also going to be doing more of the things that I asked people to send in in terms of commentary, which will also be fun. And I'll have a ton more recs. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Just to remind you, we are Keep Singing Podcast at WordPress.com. I haven't updated that site as much as I would like to. Again, my life exploded in fucking December, and I'm going to try to put it back together over the course of January. But that's our website. That's where you can find some information about us. I am compiling slowly a collection of people's giant lists of fic recs, which I am adding as I can. Please, as always, send me things. Send me feedback, send me ideas, send me recs, send me questions. This is sort of like a giant inbox for the whole fandom. I mean, it's me, I'm running it, but it's not for me. It's for you guys. So I really depend on you to help me out with that. Also, just to plug this too, although I always feel kind of dirty for doing so, we do have a tip jar. There are some costs associated with doing this. They're not much. I'm perfectly happy to pay them out of pocket because I love this thing and I love this fandom. But you know what? It's nice when people contribute. So if you feel like dropping a couple bucks in the tip jar, that would be great. And I would love you. Not that I wouldn't love you anyway. All right. I will see you in a couple of days. And we will have a lot more filth to cover then. Bye. Bye.